Last week, we launched back into church. We launched back into this autumn season where we regather and we, we start to, to focus on a new subject. And we were uh, exploring the idea of member meaning family. Member meaning family. And we were exploring that, that first part of the CPC long-term vision, a vision that has been held in this place since about the year 2000, something that is consistent, something that is overriding and over, overarching of everything that we are doing. And let me just remind us of that in case we, we, we haven't got it rammed deep into our psyche and deep into the back of our brains. It's this, that we believe that it is God's will to build a large outward-looking church in Gravesham. One that is, and then five things, strong in membership, growing in maturity, dynamic in ministry, dedicated to mission, and awesome in worship. And then probably the most important statement of all, and with God's help, we will achieve these goals. It's not in our strength. It's not in our cleverness or our, our abilities or our... Uh, strategies or anything like that it's with God's help that we will achieve the goals and last week we saw how Paul often addressed these letters these pastoral letters to churches and, the, and he, we saw that the, the Bible really strongly makes this case that membership isn't about the card in your wallet but it's about the relationship it's about the connection it's about the uh, embrace the family-ness of us together and so today I'd like to, to look at what is arguably the earliest church that there was. So often we talk about the early church and we leap to Acts, but I want to take us back a little bit further to Jesus' disciples. Those very first guys that Jesus gathered together, those very first guys who ever gave him worship. In the theological world, let's, let's just own this for a second. In the theological world, there can be quite a lot of argument about what constitutes a church, whether or not you take communion or whether you fulfill certain ministry or mission expectations. But on the simplest level, let's follow Tessie's word. Let's be simple about this. God's people gathering together to give him praise and worship. That sounds like church, yeah? So let's look at this. At his disciples. So grab your Bibles, open them up. Matthew, first book of the New Testament. It's about two thirds to three quarters of the way through your Bible. Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. And we're going to go from the end of verse 28 through to verse 33. So Matthew chapter 14, verses 28 to 33. Everybody there? Fantastic. And it should be up behind me as well. Brilliant. So Peter went over the side of the boat. It makes like he literally leapt over the side of the boat as he'd been called and walked on the water towards Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified, understandably, and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? And when they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. And then verse 33, then the disciples, what? Worshipped him. You really are the son of God, they exclaimed. They worshipped him. 
And they exclaimed, you really are the son of God. The, the amazement, the, the outstandingness of like, oh my goodness, the realisation that kicked in. I think we can make a fair case that that was the first ever church service. In a boat, on the high seas, probably still rocking from the wind and the waves, even though the sea had suddenly gone flat, so it's sort of still just settling. And God's people gathered and worshipped. Nobody turned up late. Well, Peter was the latest, but he got dragged in by Jesus, so that's okay. Everyone was there together and they worshipped God. They gave him praise and honour and they gave him glory and they sung his praises to him, declared them to him. Earlier on, when when Jesus had been out in the desert uh, being tempted, Satan had offered him worship. Satan had offered him the shortcut. Satan had offered him the the easy route. If you'll just bow down to me, I will make sure that everyone worships you. Satan had tempted him, but Jesus had stood firm. Jesus had said, no, we're going to follow God's scriptures. We're going to follow the word of God. We're going to do the right thing in the right time, in the right way. We're going to be disciplined here. And so he waits. We don't know how long this was. Could have been a few weeks, could have been a few months, could have been a year or more into, uh, and so many scholars think that this could be anything up to 18 months uh, into Jesus' ministry. He waited that time and then gets genuine worship. Genuine worship, not, not the, the cheap alternative offered by Satan. So this group of people, this First ever, this mini church, this slightly weird bunch in a boat giving praise and glory to God. Who were they? It's a fun thing sometimes to look back at the stuff that we think we know and then to ask that question, well, do we? Do we know them really well? Because they were an interesting bunch. And we do get what is a slightly confusing list of names because if you look in in Luke and you look in uh, Matthew, you get a, a slightly different list or so we think. Let's look at these a little bit more closely. Let's move you on to Mark. Let's go to one of these lists. Mark chapter 3, I think it is. Mark chapter 3, verses 16 to 19. And Jesus chooses this 12. And these are the 12 that he chose. Simon, it says, verse 16. Simon, who he named Peter. James and John, the sons of Zebedee. But Jesus nicknamed them the, the sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. So we're going to take that list of names and we're going to just for a few minutes work our way through them. We're going to explore who they are. What do we know about them? What's their background? So Simon, let's start with him. Simon is a Hebrew name who gets known as Peter which is a Greek name. And Jesus calls him Cephas, which is an Aramaic word for rock. (laughs) So he has three names before he starts, okay? Hence a slight bit of confusion occasionally. He's the hothead. He's the passionate one. He's the the one who opens his mouth and says whatever, literally whatever's on the top of his head comes out of his mouth. That can be fantastic and great and it can also be terrible at the same time. But he says what we're all thinking. 
Have you ever watched QI um, and, and you've seen the klaxon go off, the, the quiz show that, that there is some obvious answers that, that uh, it's a panel show and there's, there's an obvious answer normally to most questions, but the obvious answer more often than not is wrong. And so somebody, one of the panel will always say the obvious answer and the klaxon goes off and they lose points and all this sort of stuff. Well, Simon Peter Cephas is that person. He's willing to say the obvious thing, the thing that we're all thinking, but isn't necessarily the right thing. He's got a fishing business with his brother. He's got a mother-in-law, so we presume he's got a wife, and he's got a brother, Andrew. Andrew, what do we know about Andrew? Well, he's Simon's brother. He's got a Greek name. We don't have a Hebrew name for him whatsoever. And he's the first person that we get recorded who starts following Jesus. But then he goes and finds his brother. And what happens? His brother gets all the attention. Families, what's it like, isn't it? Has, has anyone else here got a brother or a family member who steals all the attention? Yeah, some of you. Hannah's hand straight up. You've got a lot of competition, Hannah. There's three other sisters. That's enough to, to keep people under, under tension. But Andrew, we don't know much more about him. But he was the first. It's interesting to know. James and John. Well, James is the elder brother and John is the younger brother. Both sons of Zebedee, not of magic roundabout fame. Yeah, not that one. But these guys, two sons of this guy called Zebedee, both working in the family business, both busy, uh, and the family business is obviously doing all right, it's growing, that's cool, that's fantastic, they've got servants. And both of them make it into Jesus' inner circle. It's interesting, Jesus doesn't seem to, to pick from the whole group, he, he picks Simon, Peter, Cephas, and he picks James and John. Close bunch. John, what do we know about John? Well, he writes a gospel that gets his name on it, yeah? The gospel of, just in case we didn't know which one it was. He also writes three letters. They also have his name on it because they're one, two, and three. And he writes a final book called Revelation, which is kind of the oddest book in the Bible, pretty much. And he's a challenge for, for most of us. He's also exiled to Patmos, an island, uh, and is probably the last surviving of the apostles. His brother, James, on the other hand, is the exact opposite. James is the first of the apostles who is martyred. Both extremes. Two brothers. Matthew, a Greek name, also known as Levi, his Hebrew name. Hence why you can suddenly see in these lists how you get different names. Levi, or Matthew, is a traitor. He's a traitor to the Jewish nation. He would have been the one that everyone hated. The one who would have got spat at. Because he was the tax man. Not saying anything, because you know what? This, this week there would have been enough commentary about tax, but to be honest, sometimes you have to pay tax, and that's an important thing. But, but, Matthew wouldn't have been the popular guy. No way, Jose, that people would have liked him. Because, hey, how many people desperately like paying tax? Even when it's important and necessary. 
Mark chapter 2, just a a chapter earlier than where we've uh, just been, verses 14 to 15, describes how Jesus collects Matthew as one of his disciples. And it says this, As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting in his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed him, and later Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. And there were many people of this kind who were part of Jesus' followers. Jesus didn't have the the goody-two-shoes bunch. He kept it simple. He didn't go for the best. He went for the people he could call, the people who'd respond. That's interesting to, to always note. Levi would have been Jesus' tax man. He was based in Capernaum. He was based uh, where Jesus was uh, on the, 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 the boundary of the Sea of Galilee. An area Jesus lived and worked in was part of his hometown, home area. That's where Jesus went to a, the, the wedding party and, and turned water into wine. A good thing to do. I'm all up for that. And this process is that, that he would have known Jesus. So if Jesus had fiddled his tax returns, if Jesus had, had shortchanged him, if Jesus had been dishonourable, disreputable, would Levi have followed him? This guy, this tax collector, knew, must have known that Jesus was bang on, honest, with integrity, upright, And he seemed to then gather this group of people together, hosts a massive meal and draws people, draws this group of wild, challenging people, all sorts of different backgrounds, draws them all in to be part of the family, part of the gathering, part of what God wanted to do, what Jesus was doing. These first five guys, five are all strongly linked to Galilee. They're all strongly linked to the north. They're all northerners. They're all from the the north of the country, all around Galilee. And Galilee even is nicknamed, and you find it in Isaiah, the the same portion of scripture that says, for unto us a son is born, unto us a child is given. Don't worry, we're not going into Christmas quite yet. But that same portion talks about Galilee of the Gentiles. It was a place that was a bit awkward, a place that was a bit different, a place that was, was known for being its own group of people. It was an independent spirit. You were proud to be a Galilean, probably a bit the same as someone might be proud to be a Mancunian, to be from Manchester, or, or proud to be a Liverpudlian, to be from Liverpool. That slight sort of, we're okay, we don't need to be Southerners, we're Northerners and we love it. It was that kind of situation. A place that was a centre of fishing and farming. There was wealth, but it wasn't of the, the, the city centre type variety. It was more of a, uh, a family, industrial area. But what about the rest of them, the other seven? Well, they are less well known. Thomas is known as a twin in John 11. We find that. It's probably a better nickname for him than Doubting Thomas. I think he would have preferred that one, do you think? funny how we certain things stick what we know about him as best as we can from church history is that he went on to take the gospel to India he died impaled on a lance in Mylapore in modern day Chennai he went and he gave his life for for God's message Philip that's a Greek name 
interesting because Philip is the one that often gets uh, approached in the scriptures by the Greeks. They want to talk to him. They know his name. He's not the evangelist that we find out about in Acts who's got the early version of the, the Star Trek transporter beam who sort of gets lifted up and dropped in places. Isn't that it's different Philip? But this Philip is a, is a natural evangelist. He's a practical man. In John chapter 6, verse 7, he's, he's found to be the one who, when Jesus goes to feed the, the 5,000, he says, you guys feed him. And Philip goes, we've, we've got a few loaves of bread and some fish. We're not going to make that happen. Like, Jesus, that doesn't add up. And so he clears the way. He sets the, the space for Jesus to, to do miracles that are then seen and witnessed. He's also a good friend of Nathaniel. It's another Hebrew name. Who's also known as Bartholomew, which is the Greek name. You getting confused with names yet? Yeah, I can just see the glazing. Hold on, what name and whose name and where's that go? Nathaniel was the straight talker who, when he first uh, hears of Jesus and he's talking to, to Jesus, and he's sitting under a, a tree, I think, and he says, Nazareth, can anything good come from Nazareth? He's that guy, the straight talker, the blunt one, the one who speaks his mind. It's interesting, isn't it? All these names and suddenly we're, we're already like, hold on, who was, who was that and who's that connected to? I reckon, and this is a genuine, just shameless plug, if Jesus was using Planning Centre, he might ask for your help. And so I'm going to ask for your help. Because some of you guys have got the most amazing names. They're so rich and you get to, to pick whichever bit you want to use. That's fantastic and we love it. But when you then write them down and each time you register on Planning Centre, you've used a different bit of your name, we get confused. I've even sat in elders' meetings where, where after about 10 minutes, we suddenly realised that the name we mentioned was actually someone that we were all talking about a different person or we were all talking about the same person, but with different names. We get so confused. So I'll make this one plea as a, as a way of trying to keep it easy. We want you to, to keep your, your rich names in there. We want those names. That's important. So if your name... I might have stolen this off, off Plan Centre, but if your name is uh, Taiwo Omabola Olawatoyin, put that bit in brackets. And if you're known as Toyin, just put that on the front. Yeah? Make it easy on us, please. Because there are Greek names and Hebrew names and there's African names and there's uh, names from all the different tribes. And then there's boring English names, so what can we say? But there are names and they have richness Please help us. Is that a deal? So you can do that. You can update that on Planning Centre. If you've got the app on the top right-hand side, there's a little thing. You can go in uh, your own little area and you can just update and tweak your, your ID. Just that makes it easier. Toyant is already sorted. That's why I used it. <laughs> Helps avoid us getting confused. So who else? Let's move on. James, son of Alpheus, who I'm guessing is an introvert because um, we hear nothing else. That's it. He is name-checked in the list and nothing else. But James is a popular name. It's a bit like Olu or Femi. It just keeps turning up. But that's the only thing we know about him. Thaddeus, also known as Judas, appears in much the same way, but yet he's recorded as making missionary journeys to Greece, uh, taking the gospel. 
starting to come to the end, the last two. Simon the Zealot. Ooh, now we know a little bit more about this one. The Zealots, they were one of the four sects in the Jewish society at that time, four different groups. We start with the Essenes. They were the sort of the mystics, the ones who wanted to just quietly ponder. You can almost imagine this in church. We've got the same sort of different natural groupings of people. You get the the mystics, the Essenes. You had the Pharisees who were the legalists. It says this, so we will do it this way. Then you had the Sadducees who were all into the ritual and all into the, 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 the experience of the whole thing. And then finally, you had the Zealots. They were the militant ones. They were the ones who were a bit scary and probably had a sword underneath, yeah? They were the ones who probably would, would be the equivalent of trying to uh, attack the police or, or that kind. They were the ones who stood up to fight back. And so Jesus had just picked a Zealot to go in the same group as a taxpayer, Do you reckon Jesus was deliberately trying to keep a nice harmonious team? No, he put people together. He had the introverts and the extroverts. It wasn't just about one and it wasn't just about the other. It was about everybody, different backgrounds, different experiences, different uh, cultural norms, north and south and east and west. He blended them all together. And then last and not least, Judas Iscariot. He comes from Kerioth, near the Dead Sea. That we find out from his surname. We know that he's a little light-fingered. John, in his gospel, talks about how he, he, Judas gets a bit upset about the amount of money that, goes in, that, that gets wasted on Jesus with the perfume that's poured on his feet instead of being sold where he could dip into the pocket. And he's known for selling out Jesus. We listen to that, that list They weren't all absolute sold-out evangelists. They weren't all extroverts, as I said. They weren't all of any one type or background, geography or experience. But Jesus welds them all into one family, one community, one church. And these guys, let's be brutally honest, they are not the cream of the crop. They weren't the Harvard educated. They weren't from Oxford or LSE. They weren't graduates. They were a motley crew, and that's probably a fair expression. Most of them were were practical kind of people who did practical kind of jobs. Their morality, their background, and their situation were not perfect. Jesus is threatened. Peter whips out a sword. As I already mentioned, Judas is is light-fingered. When Jesus is trying to engage with with mothers and, and, and families and kids, they're the ones who are pushing people back. They are not the perfect ones. And yet they were chosen for a purpose. Jesus chose each and every one of them. It's probably not the normal experience in life for any of us to to be headhunted and that whole process of of, and if you have been that probably is an amazing experience to to be asked to go for interviews and stuff knowing that people actually want you that's that's kind of cool but that is so removed just from normal life here where you just keep applying and applying and applying or equally the other extreme uh, where you think of what the Jewish understanding of normally gathering to be part of something would have been 
Jesus didn't send out an application form. Jesus didn't uh, give the opportunity for people to, to sign up and he sifted them. Instead, the, the rabbinical model that Jesus used, the first century Palestinian model, was that rabbis chose people. If you were nearby and they chose you, great. If you weren't there, you weren't chosen. So there was a lot of history of people trying to linger around rabbis to kind of sort of like, I'm here, pick me. But Jesus doesn't even seem to do that. Jesus goes on a walk and goes finds the people that he wants. He gathers people from all sorts of different backgrounds. Think much more along the line of Elijah going and just putting his cloak over Elisha and then walking off. And Elisha going, whoa, hold on, I'll follow you. Let me make a sacrifice. It's much more like that than it was our experience of applying for jobs and that sort of process. I say that because God has chosen you. God has called you. Every single one of us in this building, God has called and God has chosen. You can't look to the person next to you and think, oh, they've not chosen them. Or equally, they've chosen them and not me because I'm, 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 maybe I'm not good enough. God has chosen you, young and old, rich and poor, qualified, unqualified, bright, maybe less, not quite so. Doesn't matter. God has chosen you. Why? To display his grace, to display his power, to display his might and his glory and his love through you. Because if you chose all the best, what's left for God to do? The thing is, the power in, in the accounts of Jesus calling his disciples is, is actually more the fact that the action that the disciples take rather than the fact that Jesus called them. If Jesus had called Peter and Peter had gone, yeah, no thanks, don't fancy doing that, I'll, I'll, I think I'll stay fishing. I know what I'm going to get, it's fine. Or maybe even, let me think about it, give, give me a week, I'll come back to you. The whole thing in scripture would have felt so totally different, wouldn't it? The power comes from the fact that Jesus says, Peter, come follow me. James and John, come follow me. And what do they do? They leave their nets immediately. They literally drop the nets. They drop what they're doing and follow him. Jesus met several, several of his eventual disciples. It's worth saying, long before he first saw them on the beach. If you read the start of John, you find that, that Jesus had already met them and talked to them. Often they were followers of John first, John the Baptist. And, and then Jesus had kind of been there and they'd realised that John had said, son of uh, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. They'd been like, okay, that's the guy we've got to follow. They knew the connection. Matthew chapter 4. We're going to go move on a little bit more. Matthew chapter 4 verses 1, no, 18 to 22. The very portion that we're talking about. Let's read it out. One day, it says here, Matthew 4, 18 to 22. One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Then Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. What do we see? They left their nets at once and followed him. 
That's the drama. A little further up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father Zebedee, repairing their nets, and he called to them to come. And they immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. Those of you here who are practically minded are probably thinking, whoa, that's a bit rash. They didn't think, Simon, he didn't think of his, his, his wife or his mother-in-law. He's just up to the left. That, that, that's not very responsible. Karen and Karen, for those who are maybe from a more legal perspective, are thinking, well, Jesus didn't really offer them any contract or any terms, did he? Just come and follow me. There's no guarantee. There's no, there's no deal in there. It's just a case of this is it. Get on board. Let's make this happen. And the amazing, profound thing is that God, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, what needed people. Jesus needed people, had need of others to fulfill his purpose on earth. Sometimes we can get so excited about the, in theological terms, the saity of God, the fact that God doesn't need anything else. And yet Jesus at this point decides he needs people. He needs us. He needs others involved. He could have commanded legions of angels to come down and to do the job. Yeah? He could have had the whole, uh, the whole country evangelised by angels. Done. And hey, that would have had quite an impact, wouldn't it? Everyone with their own personal angel, like, you must follow Jesus. Okay. But he doesn't do that. He chose to call frail, unqualified, possibly slightly fish-smelling humans. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 29, says this. Paul speaking, right into the church in Corinth. Corinth is that, that place where they're all a little bit, yeah, a little bit messed up. And Paul says to them, remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. I think we can probably own that statement, can't we? I think Paul's words can echo all the way down through the centuries and land straight at our door, straight in front of us. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, remember CPC, that few of you are wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose the, the things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who are wise. And he chose the things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose the things despised by the world Things counted as nothing at all and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. Because it's all about him. It's all his ability that shines through us. It's all his uh, power and majesty and love that, that comes through us as failing and frail human beings. And each of those disciples, with all their weaknesses and their, their difficulties, respond. And they make a decision. They respond and in short, they did something. Peter didn't, didn't just sit in the boat and think about it. James and John didn't sit there and, and well, let me have a think for a few hours and a few days and a few weeks. 
They did something. They got up. Levi, Matthew, he got up from the the tax booth and left. Now, that must have caused a nightmare problem to fix the accounts, but he got up and he left. He followed. He did something. And in turn, Jesus took them at their word and did a few things. He empowered them. He sent them out on mission straight away. He, he literally, in Matthew 10, sends out the 12 with, with almost nothing more than a few days' worth of conversation. Go out in the name of my power and go. Proclaim the good news. They don't go to theological college for 10 years. They don't, they're not pre-qualified. No, they're just sent, empowered by God's love. They're sent on mission. They're given responsibility and opportunity. We've already mentioned the the feeding of the 5,000. They're given that thing. Go on, you feed them. Give it a whirl. See what you can do. Jesus is there to help out, but they're given responsibility. They're given challenge. And Jesus gives them purpose that you'll be fishers of men. They have a reason. They are called for a purpose. Called for a purpose. So in the last few moments, let's apply this. What does that mean to us? As the church gathers back out of an extended period of slightly weird hibernation, there are so many different things that are are, are now stepping up. Over the last uh, 18 months, we've done all sorts of random jobs, but we've not had the the people in the building particularly who've been uh, using it, abusing it, damaging it, those things happen. We've also not had teams having to cater for the whole church because let's be honest, the whole church hasn't been together. And now, right now, as the the numbers are coming up, all those teams are now starting to, to feel the pinch. They're stretched. The AV team who have been faithful for the last however many years uh, in in the middle of all this are now stretched. There's not enough people to do all the work. And so they're doing more and more days, more and more Sundays. We've got the same in in different teams, whether it be the catering team. We almost didn't have catering this morning because the team is is just that bit too stretched. One person uh, is unwell, suddenly it's a, a real push. Kids teams, the more kids that are back, the more team we need. The expectations in, the, in church, rightly, that we're here to love God, love people and love life. That's not the end of the service, don't panic. But the expectations rightly are here. But it's not just, it shouldn't just land on the same small group. So now is the time to do something. Now is the time for you and for me, for all of us. All of us. I'll say that again, all of us to step in, to play our part because together we can carry this. On your seat, when you came in, there's a join the team card. I would urge you, maybe not now because it's in the middle of the service, but put it in your Bible and I'd encourage you to open your Bible during the week. Put it, in the, put it in your Bible. Look at it this afternoon. It's going to be as simple as anything that there's a QR code on the back. You get your, your phone. In fact, we've got a little video that can play in the background while I'm saying this, if you've got that, guys. There's a QR code. You get your phone, get turn your camera on, 
hover your camera over the QR code, it will link to a website, nice and easy. Ping up to a website, there we go. It will take you to the Get Involved page. On that page is the, an introduction, it's also got some safeguarding training and some other expectations, bits and pieces, and that begin here, green button, will take you to a simple place. You don't need to know the right person to speak to, you can just tick the box. And then you can say, well, what, what can I do? How can I get involved? Where can I serve? There's loads of different. In fact, I've let, that list is extended even since we recorded that video. If you don't know what you can do or you're not sure, there's a, a, a process called Assess Me. There's a link again on that first page that gives you the, uh, a, an introduction to skills testing and gifts testing and all that kind of stuff that will allow you to, to go through and, and see what God has gifted you in. And, and if you want, we'll meet with you and guide you to, to what ministry might suit. That's cool. We want to get you guys involved. Where do you fit? Where do you become part of the team? Because every single one of the people in the boat, when they worshipped Jesus, was in the team. Yeah? I don't know if you noticed that. That first ever church, there was nobody in the boat who didn't have a role. They were all part of the team. They were all disciples. They were all on board. They were all servers. And they all made a difference because they were called and chosen for a purpose. And so take that card, look at it, pray through it, consider it. Because practical ministry builds relationships. It meets the needs of the kingdom, it meets the needs of the church. And Jesus, let's be honest, he had his disciples doing all sorts of stuff. They cleaned up all the food after the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000. They went round with baskets and they tied it up. Tidying up's an important role. He also had them uh, as host team organising when he was healing people, trying to keep the, the thing in order undoubtedly. I reckon he also had them serving as external hosts, parking the donkeys, at the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah, just getting them all lined up in the right place. Yeah, I'm not sure whether they had high vis on, but they would have been there. They would have been serving. And so we need people in all these different areas to serve in the AV, audio-visual, the cameras, the tech ministries of the church. We need people who can come in and do maintenance because this building wants to and needs to be loved, not just that we can sit back and go, oh, isn't it wonderful, so that it can be here for a purpose, to bless and to, to impact our community. Plumbing, painting, weeding, grass cutting, uh, site snagging lists, sorting things out, keeping on top of it. Maybe you'll join the street pastors or the school pastors or the prayer pastors, bringing God's light into the, the nighttime economy or into the local schools. I'll be part of the team manning the front desk. Strengthening maybe the, host, the external host team who look after the, the roads around us, get the cars parked and make sure that we, we don't cause any difficulty to traffic and hopefully that means we can get our planning permission sorted. Become a food bank volunteer. Expand the kids team or the youth team to cope for the, the growing numbers. Be a, uh, the schools pastors we mentioned, be part of Make Lunch or the lunches teams, feeding and blessing our community with food. Sign up to be part of the Sanctuary Winter Homeless Shelter. Join the host team or the resource centre, keeping people in the loop. Musicians, 
These guys are great. But if you, yeah, absolutely, these guys are great. But I know that most of these guys, many of them, have been on this ministry and in this team for 10, 15, 20 years. Some of you are old, sorry. (laughs) We need the young guys coming through. We need the other people stepping up. We need to be together. Catering, as I already mentioned. So take the time. Some of those ministries are are linked just to Sunday morning. Some of them are linked to certain times. Some of them are midweek. Some of them are weekend. Some of them are randoms. Where do you fit? Where do you fit? Are you in the boat? Are you? Because together we worship. Together we worship in everything that we do and we give praise and glory to God. Amen. So let's stand to our feet. Tuck that in your Bible. Don't leave it on the seat. Don't leave it abandoned for someone else to deal with. Tuck it on your, into your Bible. Pray about it. Look at it this afternoon. And we together can serve and glorify our God. Thank you, guys.